word, teen emphasis. And what's happening in 2 Kings is you see things um, are inspired by God in an order of emphasis. And I believe there's a lesson in how we see the events presented to us so that we can understand um, some, some important parts to it. So, for example, the events we're going to learn about today are actually recorded in um, 2 Kings chapters 18 and 19. And then what we learned about a few weeks ago, events that actually occurred before 2 Kings 18 and 19 in chapter 20 about Hezekiah's sickness actually took place earlier. And we know this by looking at some of the date and key references that are given to us in the scriptures. And so I often wondered, why did the Hebrews need it recorded for them that way? And why did God choose to inspire it in that way? Well, to tell you right up front, I don't know for sure. God doesn't tell us why he did it and chose to do it that way. But if we think about it, I think there are some lessons of it. Because Hezekiah is one of those heroes of the Jewish people. He's a very special king to the Jews, and the Jews greatly loved him. In fact, as we continue on reading through some of the details, we will see that there's great esteem given for Hezekiah. He just was the great hero king of the Jews. The people loved him. And I wonder if perhaps the Lord did not leave for us the inspired record with all of the great and wonderful things that Hezekiah had done, or I should be going this way from your guys' perspective, all these great and wonderful things that he had done, even from the very first month of the first um, year of his reign, the revival that he was, in, he was involved in leading the nation in. All through, you see these details. You see his great spirituality, may I say, and his dedication and commitment to the Lord, and all these details. And then we see what we're going to learn about today with the king of Assyria. Just amazing, amazing, and incredible things. And then we have tacked on almost as if an addendum, the little situation of his sickness, which again was an incredible, amazing um, demonstration of actually his spirituality. But then when he recovered from it, his exchange with the Babylonians and is showing them the riches makes you come back and go, hmm. And God actually said it was a very serious matter and brought wrath upon both Hezekiah and Judah. That, that indication of wrath means that there was some kind of a, a pestilence is what's inferred there, similar to what happened when David had sinned in numbering the people and um, demonstrated that Hezekiah was exceedingly wrong in what he had done there and that there was trouble and he was actually even um, judged for it saying that that what all those treasures he had shown them would all be carried away and all of this is interesting and I, and I wonder if all these details about hezekiah are given and you just come back and go wow what a great king what a great guy and then god shows us all that hezekiah was a man as is told of elijah in the new testament a man of like passions as we. See, so often we read some of these accounts in the Bible and we're just like, wow, I wish I could be like that. Have you read Hezekiah and seen some of his things and been like, wow, I wish I could be like Hezekiah and even experienced some of the incredible interventions of God in his life? 
How many of you, though, when he was doing his, when he was failing, instead of showing to these Babylonian ambassadors his God is showing them his riches and his puffed up in pride and his heart is lifted up, how many of you say, boy, I wish I could be like Hezekiah and have my heart lifted up? <laughs> we don't, we don't want to be that, do we? You see, Hezekiah is written for us and his record is inspired by God to show us he wasn't a perfect man. He had problems. He had like passions as we. And God, the Holy Spirit, is genuine with us, is honest with us in revealing to us both the good and the bad of Hezekiah. And you know why? Well, the New Testament tells us why, and I can say this with authority. There are two reasons why God says he has written things afore for us, has written these things before for us. Two reasons. One reason is that we can follow their example when it is a good example. And another reason given is that we lust not as they lusted. Well, what's that mean? It means that they had passions. They had desires that were not good, were not spiritual, and were fleshly. And when we see that in them, it will cause us to take heed, that means pay attention, and not lust as they lusted. For us not to allow us to be carried away in the same desires and passions, or to let our own hearts be lifted up in pride. For when we see it in Hezekiah, this guy we greatly love, admire, and respect, to know and see that he too, in all of his greatness, even spiritual greatness, he allowed his heart to be lifted up, and it caused him trouble. And so it's written for our learning that we take heed to this and not allow ourselves to be lifted up in the same ways. But in the same ways in which Hezekiah left for us examples, so we too can follow in those. So let's look at Hezekiah's life as a whole and let us begin here in our timeline. And we can see the divided kingdom, right? We've got Israel up at the top, Judah at the bottom, but Hezekiah's not on there, so we move forward. And here we see Hezekiah at the last part of this page, this part of the screen, bottom right there, Hezekiah. And you see, here is where he began his reign. Now, we're going to zoom in and look at his life, and we're going to do a little bit of a review of his life this morning as we get started. We know here with the blue line is when he was born born back in the days when his grandfather was king. And um, then here we see at the green line when he became king. And you remember when he became king, he brought about great reforms. He, he restored, he restored, we're going to get there later, he restored the worship in the temple, he cleansed the temple, he rebuilt the temple, didn't he? They observed Passover there in the temple. They published and proclaimed the law of God and the word of God throughout the land and invited even the northern kingdom, the people from the northern kingdom, to come to the true worship of Jehovah. Remember, he was one who copied out many or copied and published, compiled and published many of the previously unpublished Proverbs of Solomon. He was leading the nation in revival 
And it's clear as we read these different things that he himself had a heart for following God. He's even compared to David, his father. And David is one who is described as a man after God's own heart. And speaking of heart, it's interesting that as we see and observe this in Hezekiah, that he wasn't always consistent. You know, consistency is hard. Just a moment ago, I was telling you about his heart being lifted up. See, we see him having a heart that is united with the Lord, a heart that loves God, but yet then sometimes he goes his own way and his heart was lifted up. So he was a good king. We see that illustrated throughout his early reign and the records of his early reign, beginning right there at the green line in the very first month of his first year. And then we go further on into this history, and here at the purple line is where we have Hezekiah sick. And we know this is taking place because of how it dates forward and backwards from the end of his life, because God promised him 15 years, didn't he? So he, here you know, he was sick unto death. Hezekiah, Isaiah came into Hezekiah and said to him, you have a sickness unto death, you will not die, set your house, you will die, set your house in order. And Hezekiah, what did he do? Did he turn to the wall and mumble and grumble and complain and pout? Woe is me. No, he turned his face to the wall and went directly to Jehovah. Interesting object lesson Brother Tool shared with all of us this morning. We need to go directly to God. That's exactly what Hezekiah did. And it meant so much, and it availed so much. As the New Testament tells us that the prayer of the righteous man availeth much. Before Hezekiah even got out, or before Isaiah got out of Hezekiah's palace, the Lord spoke to Isaiah and said, oh, go back and tell him he's got 15 more years. Hezekiah went directly to God with his problem, and God heard his prayer. And when Isaiah told him this, remember he asked for that sign. And remember the miraculous wonder in the land when the shadow on the sundial went backwards 10 degrees. And sure enough, in just three days, Hezekiah was up off that bed and he was back in the temple worshiping, worshiping. And you remember he wrote a song. In fact, not just one song, but at the end of his song he wrote, it says that he will sing songs and speak songs to his children and his children's children. And, that, and some believe that some of the songs of degrees, the psalms where the Jews would sing them as they ascended the steps to the temple, one for each step, short little psalms, many believe that five of those or more were written possibly by Hezekiah. So here we have not only a man who, who has brought about revival in the world, but he's one who seeks the Lord in prayer. But then we also find out that his heart could be lifted up in pride. You know, it's interesting. Um, many, many times, men and women, boys and girls, who love the Lord and are walking with the Lord, they are tempted to allow their hearts to be lifted up in pride. Sometimes it's manifested in different ways. Sometimes it's manifested in, look at me, I'm better than all them people. Is that very spiritual? No, that's lifted up in pride. Sometimes there's such great success that comes 
actually, as is promised by God's word. In fact, actually, Hezekiah speaks of success that comes by obeying God and trusting him. Sometimes we experience success not because we're such great, successful people, but because God has blessed us in our obedience and following him. But then you know what is a natural potential pitfall and temptation? To then be lifted up in pride of our success. Do you see the wiles of the devil in it all? He plays tricky games with us. Even in those moments in which we are close to the Lord, he seeks to lay snares, that's traps, in our paths, really tempting us. And not just we can we blame the devil for the temptations, but really it can come from our own selves in allowing ourselves to be lifted up in pride. That's what happened with Hezekiah. When these ambassadors from Babylon came to see the wonder in the land, he showed them his greatness, his riches, his treasures, and he failed to show them his God. Let's learn from Hezekiah and show others our God. Not boasting of ourselves or glorying in ourselves, but of glorying in the Lord. Well, let's go back to our life of Hezekiah timeline. He was born at the blue line, became king at the green line, at the purple line is when he had his sickness, he was healed, and he was promised 15 more years. A few years later, he had a son named Manasseh. Remember, at his sickness, he had no son, but a few years later, he had a son named Manasseh. About the same time that a major conflict arose with Sennacherib, Sennacherib, king of of Assyria. Now, if you look here in your timeline, you'll see different chronological structures put in here. And it's, it's interesting to observe that and to also compare other records that we have of this time period. And we find that Sennacherib, this wasn't just a, a one-time swoop in and swoop back out. That's not how campaigns, military campaigns work. You know, we're, we're looking at, you know, the fact that we've been in Afghanistan and we pulled out of Afghanistan. How long were we were in Afghanistan and how many things and what happened when and how long and all of these details of Afghanistan? Well, similar comparison is with any military campaign. It's not just in one year that swoops in and comes back out. We think of 722 B.C. as the great conquest and fall of Israel, and it was. But actually, it had started long before 722, 21 B.C. We're not even sure exactly whether it's 22 or 21 B.C. And, and it's there, started long before. And it actually has continued long after. Even though Israel is gone, gone, and been carried away captive and destroyed, the conquest of the Assyrian has continued as he's marched through the land and captured all of the cities. In fact, at some point, likely between when Hezekiah was, um, was healed at the purple line and the yellow line is which what we're going to learn of the climax of events today, Sennacherib had already come in and threatened Hezekiah. And we skipped over this last time, but if you look here in 2 Kings 18 and verses 13 through 16, so on page 10 of your harmony, we find that now in the 14th year of King Hezekiah did Sennacherib, king of Assyria, come up against all the fenced cities of Judah and took them. A lot of trouble coming. Then Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria 
to Lachish, saying, I have offended. Return from me. That which thou puttest on me, I will bear. Hmm. He makes an agreement or an offer with Sennacherib, this king. He says to him, you put something on me, I will bear it. I'm sorry I've offended you. It's interesting, he doesn't say why he's offended him or how he's offended him. He's basically appealing to Sennacherib, go away. I will pay you to go away. Leave our land alone. He says, that which thou puttest on me will I bear. You know what he's saying? I will pay. And the king of Assyria appointed unto Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. A talent is anywhere from between about 65 to 85 pounds. This is a great treasure. And this is interesting, what we find out here. For Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. At that time did Hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which he, Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. So here we have the negotiation. Leave us alone if we pay you a tribute. If you set for us demands, we will give you money to leave us alone. Go away. So Sennacherib gives them out, and it requires them to just strip the gold from their royal city. Now, some of this here that's described, you remember going back to the days of Solomon, you, you might look at some of this and be like, oh my, they, they just, you know, desecrated it. Not necessarily in a, they, they, I shouldn't say not necessarily, they didn't desecrate the temple. Um, one of the things about the temple and also some of the royal treasuries is that they didn't just take gold. When, when, you know what we do with our gold in America? We, we put it in Fort Knox in a vault, and nobody ever gets to see it, and some of you even wonder if it's even there still. And, uh, and, and you have these, you know, it's, it's there. Not so in Israel. When they took the treasuries and the riches of the treasures of the gold, as set forth by example of Solomon, they took it and they made gorgeous decorations, giant shields of pure gold, and they would just mount them up onto these pillars in the temple and put them on display. So the gold wasn't locked up in some vault somewhere. It was customary for them to take the gold and the silver and to make beautiful displays of them and for the display of all the people. And they would hang these on the pillars and on the posts and, and throughout the palace and, the, and also the temple. So it wasn't like it was locked up in a vault. So this was an emptying, you could say, of the vault of the treasures that had been set up and displayed there in the temple. And so you would think Hezekiah is done and would leave Israel alone, right? Now, we're not exactly sure how everything chronologically works here. I have some resources I can refer you to where some have taken Assyrian records as well as the biblical record as well as Babylonian records, and they've tried to blend them together and see from those records how the chronology of this all fits together. And it's interesting, and it's complicated. And if you're interested, I'd love to help show you how you can learn more about it. But for the just sake of it, we'll just see that it's taking place here, these events, somewhere there in between the purple and the yellow line, climaxing here at the yellow line in Hezekiah's life. 
And in that time, you remember, we have learned about Sennacherib's invasion of the land. Here you can see over on this side here, the, the Mediterranean Sea, and then you can see that dotted line there, that's Sennacherib's army coming down the coast. And Lachish is that major city. Actually, last Sunday afternoon, we saw that ramp being built up to Lachish and the capturing. That's what, um, that's what Sennacherib claimed as the victory over Judah was his capture and destruction of Lachish. And, and you remember while he was fighting there against Lachish, he sent somebody to, to Jerusalem. And you remember him, right? Well, come on up here. That, that, that general, um, Rabshakeh, yes. And you remember he defied Hezekiah, but who did he really insult? Who remembers? Who did this general really insult last week? Yeah, he insulted Jehovah. And you remember that he came right up to the very walls of Jerusalem, and there in the hearing of all the people, you remember some of the things he said. Why, he, he blasphemed the Lord. He denounced Hezekiah. He told all of the people that the revival under Hezekiah was a great big fraud. Because the real Lord Jehovah is an idol. And Hezekiah has been knocking down all your idols, all your groves, all your altars, and telling you only to worship in Jerusalem. And you remember him. He, he, he blasphemed the Lord. And you remember Hezekiah? Hezekiah. What, what did Hezekiah do? Well, he sent some of his ambassadors there to that wall, um, and he had given them instructions, say not a word, didn't he? But did they listen to him? Well, in the beginning, they didn't listen to Hezekiah, for one of those guys actually challenged him, and when he challenged him and said, oh, hey, hey, don't talk in the, in the tongue of the Hebrews. We understand Syrian. Talk to us in your language. We're educated. We're connected. And what did, what did that cause him to do? What did that cause you to do? To just insult them the more in Hebrew. We're an, at, at everyone could hear. And then finally, those three guys up on the wall, yes, they decided they better follow the advice of Hezekiah and just not say a word. You remember, they came back to King Hezekiah. They gave him the report of what had happened. Hezekiah set aside his royal garments. He put on sackcloth. He went to the temple to pray, and he sent messengers to who? Who did he send messengers to? Nobody remembers. Who did he send messengers to? Does this help you? Isaiah, you're right. Isaiah the prophet. And what message did Isaiah send back to Hezekiah? Mm -hmm. This guy is going to leave. He's not going to stay. And you know what happened? He didn't stay. He left. Nobody really knows why. Well, 
But we read some scriptures and there's some little hints as to why. See, if we keep reading it, it's implied that there was some trouble coming from Egypt. So much so that um, scholars today um, say and state as if it's fact, although I haven't seen any evidence of it, whether either in secular records or in the biblical record, that Hezekiah was trying to hire Egypt to come up and help him. Now, we know that the Assyrians thought that they had hired Egypt, but just because they thought it doesn't mean that it actually happened. Because the situation here at play, if we were to look at the map again, Egypt is down there further. Egypt's the next one on the list to get conquered. And actually, they were the next one on the list to get conquered. And so there was this conflict of, of, of going on, and so much so that the general had to leave Jerusalem and his insults to go back to his king. He gets back to his king, but his king isn't even at the city he had besieged, for he's dealing with Egypt. But guess what? They get that all taken care of. But in the midst of all of this, in the midst of all this trouble, you know what happens? Sennacherib has been sending letters to Hezekiah. How many of you like to get letters? I like to get letters. How many of you ever gotten a letter that you wish you never got? I'm not just talking about bills. I mean truly a letter that you wish you never got. Guess what? All the letters from Sennacherib he wished he never got. Remember last week we ended with Hezekiah reading one of these letters from Sennacherib, and you saw him, didn't you? He was horrified. Absolutely, totally, entirely horrified. Horrified. And if we look here, in 2 Kings 19, in verse 8, we find, so Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna, for he had heard that he was departed from Lachish. There's some of the mystery. And when he heard say of Tirhaka, king of Ethiopia, there's a whole lot of history behind that story having to do with this king, and we say, well, this is Ethiopia, not Egypt. Yeah, you'd right. You're very right. But what's really intriguing by looking at other records, we find the inspired record is dead on accurate because the king of Egypt at this time was a self-imposed king from Ethiopia, this guy here. So not only is this Assyrian conquest causing trouble just in Egypt, but all the way extending down even further south into Ethiopia, and there's confederacies and all kinds of political turmoil going on in fear and dread of Sennacherib. Who wants to be Sennacherib? Anybody want to be Sennacherib this morning? Oh, yes, come, come, you can be Sennacherib. Just so you know, heads up, Sennacherib's not a nice king. Yeah, he's, he's not a good guy. But um, we, we know that you're just acting him, right? Yes, here we go. Here's our king. Our king, let's loop this around. Yeah, there we go. Sennacherib. You like sending Hezekiah letters, don't you? Yeah, he sends Hezekiah's letters. Letters that horrify and terrify Hezekiah. So this exchange has been going on. 
You've had to deal with, well, you've conquered Damascus. You have conquered Lebanon. You have conquered Israel. You're in the middle of conquering Judah. You've just about got all of Judah conquered, except for Hezekiah's capital city, Jerusalem. You're dealing down there with Egypt, and by extension, proxy. You're dealing with Ethiopia. You, you're, you're doing great. Nobody's standing up against you. You're winning everywhere you go. Now, this guy here is not mean and cruel, but the real Sennacherib was mean and cruel and wicked. You want to hear what's in one of those letters? You want me to read your part? So you get that letter, Hezekiah. You want to read that letter? Second Kings 19.10 Let not thy God in whom thou trustest deceive thee, saying, Jerusalem shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, thou hast heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands by destroying them utterly. Shalt thou be delivered? <laughs> Have the gods of the nations delivered them, which my fathers have destroyed? As Gozan and Haran and Rezpah and the children of Eden, which were in Telassar. Where is the king of Hamath and the king of Arpad? And the king of the city of Seraphim, of Hena, and of Ivah. As the gods of other nations and lands have not delivered their people out of mine hand, so shall not the God of Hezekiah deliver his people out of of mine hand. <laughs> now, some of you are sitting out there, and most of this is going over your head, or is it? I think you're all getting the key point. Is that Sennacherib is insulting Jehovah? Not Hezekiah. I mean, he is insulting Hezekiah. But he's insulting Jehovah. He's challenging Jehovah. You know, this tells me something about Hezekiah. This tells me something about Judah. They had a reputation. I believe that the sermons and the preaching of Isaiah, which have continued for some time, have been known and heard by the Assyrians. And they are insulting him. Now, for all of you, you're reading this. And you know what? There's all kinds of history here. How many of you have ever been to Haran? Oh, none of you have. How many of you have been to Tel Asar? None of you. How many of you ever even heard of these places? Most of you haven't. Except when one time you maybe read it here. And I imagine... I don't want to insult anybody, but I suspect most of us, I'll include myself in it, have read these and never even looked them up. Where are they on a map? So can you for a moment go back in time with me 
and imagine that you are Hezekiah and that you're living in Jerusalem at this time. These cities, these towns were well known. And do you know why they were well known? Because of what you had done to them. He had flattened them. He had destroyed the people, the ones that were living. He had literally taken hooks and put it into their lips or noses and drug them into a foreign land. Have you ever read what's called the imprecatory psalms? Have you ever read in some of the psalms where there are these prayers that God would judge and punish wicked people? Some of those psalms were written because of what Sennacherib and his fathers had been doing to people. Have you ever read in one of the psalms where it says, Lord, dash their little ones against the stones? And you read that and have been like, what? You know why? Because when this guy would come into a city and capture it, and his soldiers would carry them away, captives. I'm not even sure I want to describe it, but they, they, I'll just use the Bible words. They would take the little ones and dash them against the stones. Cruel. Killing them. The babies. And when the people experienced this, I mean, imagine if you were a mother and someone just came and ripped the baby out of your arms and did this you would pray the imprecatory psalm against him too. And in a sense, it was really a serious problem. And God was hurting too. But these cities, you don't know them, but Hezekiah knew them. These were cities that he had conquered. These were cities that had been destroyed. These were cities that had been ravaged. These were cities where the captives had been carried away. It was true the gods, quote-unquote, of these cities did not save them from Sennacherib. And so Hezekiah has, or Isaiah has been preaching, trust the Lord. Don't be afraid of the Assyrian kings. Don't be afraid of the Assyrian kings. Trust the Lord. Don't trust in Egypt. Don't trust in Babylon. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. And Hezekiah, finally, one of the kings, is trusting in the Lord. And Sennacherib thinks it's hilarious. Because he doesn't believe in the Lord. And he thinks the Lord, Jehovah, is just like all the other gods who didn't spare their people. So what does Isaiah do with this letter that he has received? Here he's got this letter from Zanacrib, and he's read it. What do you think he does? I'll give you a hint. It's exactly what Mr. Toole told us about in, right at the beginning this morning. You know what Hezekiah did? He went directly to the temple. And there, he took that letter with also someone else with him. Who do you think he brought with him? Now you tell me, if, if you were Hezekiah and you were going to go to the Lord, who would you want to go with you? 
Isaiah. Who wants to be Isaiah? You want to be Isaiah? Come. Hezekiah and Isaiah together, they come and it tells us that Hezekiah, when he received the letter of the hand of the messengers and read it, and Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord. And it tells us also in Second Chronicles that the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, too. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, Dwellest between the cherubims. Thou art God, even thou alone. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven, thou made heaven, thou hast made heaven and earth. Lord, bow thine thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which hath, which hath sent him to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they have destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. And you hear that prayer? It's interesting that he is praying to be saved, to be rescued from scary Sennacherib. Well, you know what's happened now at this point? It's not just letters. The entire army of at least 180,000 soldiers have surrounded Jerusalem, pinning Hezekiah in his city like a bird is pinned in a cage. But you notice Isaiah prays, or Hezekiah and Isaiah pray, not just to be saved, but that all the nations, the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. He admits what Sennacherib has said. <laughs> True. The gods of the nations haven't delivered them because they're not gods. They're made up. But he appeals to the Lord, Jehovah, saying, you are the one true God. So show Sennacherib and all the kingdoms this truth. And then continues the Lord's answer through Isaiah. I'm going to just read it for sake of time. And there's a lot in here, and I actually encourage you, Pastor Virgil had preached through this section, when it, uh, the record is inspired in, by Isaiah and recorded by Isaiah in chapter 37 in more detail. But I'd like to just read it for you and comment on just a few things. As the Lord responds to Hezekiah, 
But it's interesting as this message comes from Isaiah to Hezekiah, it's very much for you. I wonder how it got to him, but nonetheless, listen as I read. For in 2 Kings 19, verse 20, Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah. Now, I'm not sure exactly what's all going on here. Did some time pass? Because it tells us in 2 Kings or 2 Chronicles that both of them were praying together. Now Isaiah is sending to him. Perhaps they had come together and prayed, and there wasn't this immediate answer, you know, like a few years before when you were sick, before Isaiah even got out of the courtroom. Uh, here, on this day, he had to send to him. And listen, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, that which thou hast prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. This is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, hath despised thee and laughed thee to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem hath shaken her head at thee. Whom hast thou reproached and blasphemed? And against whom hast thou exalted thy voice and lifted up thine eyes on high? Even against the Holy One of Israel. By thy messengers thou hast reproached the Lord and hast said, With a multitude of my chariots am I come up to the height of the mountains, to the sides of Lebanon, and I will cut down the tall cedars thereof and the choice fir trees thereof, and I will enter into the lodgings of his borders and into the forest of his carmel. I have digged and drunk strange waters, and with the sole of my feet have I dried up all the rivers of besieged places. Hast thou not long heard ago how I have done it, and of ancient times that I have formed it? Now have I brought it to pass that thou shouldest be to lay waste fenced cities into ruinous heaps. Notice some of the interesting things of what God is saying he's doing, and then what Sennacherib's doing, and then Israel is doing. It's an intriguing poetry that the Lord is using in all of this. Therefore, their inhabitants were of small power. They were dismayed and confounded. They were as the grass of the field and as the green herb, as the grass on the housetops and as the corn blasted before it be grown up. But I know thy abode and thy going out and thy coming in and thy rage against me because thy rage against me and thy tumult is come up into mine ears. Therefore, I will put my hook in thy nose and my bridle in thy lips, and I will turn thee back by the way which thou camest. Hey, just, just, just to pause for a moment. That's what Sennacherib does to the people he conquers. And now the Lord is speaking to Hezekiah indirectly to Sennacherib, saying, that's what I'm going to do to you. And this shall be a sign unto thee. Now here he's speaking to Israel. And this is a prophecy that this will happen. You shall eat this year such things as grow of themselves, and in the second year that which springeth of the same, and in the third year sow ye and reap, and pleasant vineyards, and eat the fruits thereof. It's going to be a sabbatical year, but yet it's also going to be a prosperous year in spite of his ravaging the land will bounce back and be fruitful. 
which doesn't happen when a land is ravaged by a foreign king. God's making a pretty big promise here. And the remnant that is escaped of the house of Judah shall yet again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant, and they that escape out of Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall do this. Therefore thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and shall not come into this city, saith the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. A guaranteed promise that God will defend the city. Is this a surprise to you, Hezekiah? No, because just a few years before when he was sick, God had made the same exact promise. And Hezekiah has been trusting in that promise all this time. And that's the promise he's been blaspheming, Sennacherib. And so what happens? Well, here, you see, is what the Assyrians depict they do to people. Hmm. God says, this is what you do? I'm going to basically do the same thing to you, Sennacherib. But here we find, in the next page, we talked about this last Sunday afternoon, didn't we? Sennacherib's prism, or the, it's called the Chicago prism because it's actually in the Oriental Institute in Chicago. Sennacherib ordered this to be inscribed where he boasts of his victory over Judah. For he says, Hezekiah the Judean, like a caged bird within the city of Jerusalem, his capital city, I shut up. And then he goes on to say, and then I went home. <laughs> that was Sennacherib's record. So it seems to me there's more to the story. Well, what happened? Well, he is actually, in his prism, confirmed exactly what the biblical record inspired. He just leaves out a key event. Yes, indeed. He had Hezekiah hemmed out, surrounded, in Jerusalem, like a bird is in a cage, trapped. But look with me at 2 Kings 19, verse 35. It came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians an hundred, four score, and five thousand. A hundred eighty-five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt in Nineveh. Just like God had prophesied, and just like he admitted, he just skipped over this event when he lost his entire army. His record is exactly accurate. He did have Hezekiah caged up, and he did go back home to Nineveh. And when he came back home last Sunday afternoon, you remember we looked at his, his, his triumph victory parade wall, and he recounted his capture not of the real capital, Jerusalem, but of Lachish. He couldn't get Jer Jerusalem because God had guaranteed Hezekiah that he wouldn't. 
and he didn't. And in his record, he just so happened to conveniently skip this. But to finish the rest of the story, you go home, and God had made a, another prophecy about you earlier. So this one here is that he's going to leave, and God's going to defend the city. God does just that, and he leaves, and he goes back. But do you remember a conversation earlier when Sennacherib wasn't outside the wall, but his general was? God made another prophecy about this king. Does any, do any of you remember what it was? It was that he would go back to his home and die. Would you know what happened? Well, it tells us here that thus the Lord saved Hezekiah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and from the hand of all other, and guided them on every side. Well, it tells us that uh, if you're in your harmony, you need to skip over a few pages because it didn't happen right away, and this we put in chronological order. But in 2 Kings 19, verse 37, it continues, and it says that it came to pass that as Sennacherib was worshiping in the house of Nishrak, his god, that Adramelech and Shazerah, his sons, smote him with the sword. He was worshiping in his own temple, and he was assassinated by his own sons, and then those two sons ran away, and they escaped into the land of Armenia. And then it tells us that one of his other sons became king in his stead. And so begins the decline of the Assyrian Empire. In wrapping up a few lessons, don't be like Sennacherib. That sound like a good deal? Don't blaspheme the Lord. Be like Hezekiah. Believe the Lord. Be like Isaiah and Hezekiah, when there's a problem, go directly to God in prayer, trusting Him. Here, Hezekiah had guaranteed absolute promises and what would happen in this day, and he could pray that. We don't always have those, but we have enough that we need not fear whatever may come, even if it's disastrous in earthly human perspective. God's working it out. We can still keep on trusting him. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this record. May we be as Hezekiah and as Isaiah in trusting you, even in a world and in a place when you are blasphemed. May we seek your glory, your honor, your praise. May our hearts not be lifted up in pride. We commit now to you as we pray in your name. Amen.